The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. No more okay. cursing. No more cursing. Oh, hell. I, I, see, yeah, I know. I, see, I, I wanted to foil uh, his plans. I, I can <laughs> edit, so. That's true. I know, see, I think we just, just should come up with a, you know, a, an aviation-appropriate beep from when we want to get rid of something, like maybe the sound of a Cessna stall horn. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I that's went, actually good, yeah. went looking. I actually went looking on the net for a recording of a stall horn. I couldn't find a good one. That was maybe better than anything I found right there. Now feel free to use it. It's your peril. <laughs> okay. So I spent a fair amount of my time the last couple of days flying on the airlines. Sadly, uh, but uh, I, I, where can I send the sympathy card? It wasn't that yeah. bad. I have to tell you. But I was going to say that I, I spent. So I went fly. I flew on this. But I've never flown it. We flew. Four segments, two down and two back, all on the exact same type of aircraft. It was, and I'd never flown it. This is an Embraer 135. Oh, really? The little one? Yeah. What carrier were you on? Uh, I like I like the Embraers. Uh, I like the uh, one and two seating arrangement. Yeah. So, you know, two-thirds of the seats are uh, aisle seats and two-thirds of the seats are window seats. Yeah, it was a, yeah. uh, it was okay. uh, American Eagle. Well, you might have been on my but you might have been on one of my buddies' uh, rides because he he's domiciled Boston, and and flies the one thirty five. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about you're talking about Silent Dave. Yeah, Silent Dave. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish I had known. I would I would have asked. Well, I, yeah, I wish I wish I had known too. Um, uh, you, you you went to Charlotte how? Uh, through uh, Laguardia. LaGuardia, yeah, LaGarbage is, is yeah, that's that's his stuff. Yeah, well, maybe we. That's his stuff. It's yeah. likely you uh, had him. That's good. Yeah. I'll ask him next time I talk to him. Okay. Talk I to hope him. he kissed you if you had him. Really? Uh, do I want I to know yeah, why? You know, I, hope one, I hope one of you got kissed anyway. <laughs> oh, the Embraers are nice airplanes. I find them uh, typically more comfortable. And it's the seats in particular that I find more comfortable than other brands of uh, small regional airliners. Yeah, no, that, but that, yeah, they were comfortable enough. It was narrow, but I mean, it's a very narrow oh, airplane. And, it, uh, yeah, it's a narrow airplane, and and it's it looks weird looking down the aisle because the aisle's off center. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's only one row of baggage of overhead bag of overhead you know luggage compartments. Right. And uh, and you you your head literally goes up into this slot that goes down along the side of the uh, the luggage overhead luggage. Yeah. And, if you're uh, taller than uh, five, if you're five ten or taller. Yeah. You you, you do uh, you know some version of a duck walk. Yeah, you you get to duck a little bit, but uh, but it was a pretty comfortable ride. And uh, the thing I found notable was that I ended up on the same same type of equipment in on all four segments. Which yeah, that is something. Um, so yeah, we went we went Boston to LaGuardia, LaGuardia to to uh, Charlotte, and uh, and then back. And so I spent I was, I was in Charlotte for two days. Uh, it was in fact seventy five degrees there one day, which to us northeasterners that's a very exciting thing. Um, I got to spend a grand total of twenty minutes outdoors the whole time I was there. <laughs> 
<laughs> I did force myself. I took, I, you know, it's like I said, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm walking outdoors. And so I went walking around out in the 75 degree weather for a little bit. So, so I got, uh, I got my money's worth. I don't know. I was working. I got paid, but uh, anyways, uh, well, good for, of course so, it's, it's been 75 kind of down here all week. Yeah. Okay. Now, but now I think it's you, Jeb, but both of you refer occasionally to an RJ, um, is, yeah. R- is RJ a generic term for that yes. that yes. sort of yeah. general yeah. size of because they're yeah. labeled RJs on the side of these these uh, embryos yeah. and uh, yeah, RJs they, RJs are, is a generic term. There's basically two types on the market: the Canadair um, produced by Bombardier, which are basically stretched uh, Challengers, um, and uh, those are also known as CRJs. Right. Uh, and then there's just the Embraer RJs, which really don't have a their own. Uh, uh, well, yeah, they call them the jungle jets because they're out of well, Brazil. Well, if you see them in print, a lot of places they'll refer to them to them as ERJs, right? Because their model designation is E135, E145, E175, and E195. Mm-hmm. Each one of them's progressively bigger. Uh, right. I think well, the e- one that e- you were on is 37 seats. Yeah, EMB. I thought it was the model designation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's the full one. But then in, in uh, the marketing oh, yeah, name, yeah. they call them E dash, whatever's. Yeah, it was but, funny because yeah. I was looking at the emergency card to figure out what model it was, and and typically the someplace if you read at least the small print, it'll give. But it, mm-hmm. all it said was EMB. Yeah, and it was only yeah. later that I was I was digging it up on the internet to find out that it was in fact a, a one thirty five. Uh, yeah, so. that's the smallest of the one of the lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. You know, the people I was traveling with were a little iffy about being on little. I, I, to me, if I've got to fly oh, the airlines, the smaller well, the airplane, the better. If you ask me, I, I just, I, I, you know, I sometimes wonder what people expect. Do they, do they want to get? Do, do they really expect like a seven forty seven to go from Boston to the garbage? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know, come on, people, give me a break. Well, Although, and it's it's always puzzled me that uh, for a lot of otherwise logical people, there's this uh, a pathological adherence to a belief that. Size equals safety. Right. The bigger right. it is, the safer it is. Yeah. Can you Ignoring say Titanic? The, yeah. Well, it, let's look at the difference in 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 uh, touchdown speed of a stricken 747 with a load mm. of people and half fuel, mm. and the touchdown speed of an ERJ loaded with people and full right. fuel. Right. You know they they are so uh, so empirically different. And the lower, of course, the touchdown speed, the lower the kinetic energy, the higher the survival potential. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't get it. And you tell them that, and it's kind of like, oh, I'd fly those little airplanes, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't feel safe in something that small. And yeah. you say, well, you know, it touches down at less than the speed limit on, on the interstate. Mm-hmm. So if you have to put down someplace, I can put it into a much smaller space, much more slowly, uh, and walk away. Then uh, yeah. you know, if I'm in the middle of a of a 757 coming down with no power and out of control, uh, you know, I'm pretty much a statistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I you know, I always it makes me crazy sometimes. People say, you know, oh, I'll never want to get on you know one of those small airplanes. Well. You know, isn't small kind of a relative term? Smaller yeah. than, than what? You know, my airplane's bigger than my car. It's bigger than my truck. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what do you mean small? And, and, well, and uh, oh, well, I, you know what I mean. I don't, it's not an airliner. Well, you know, 
sorry, but I can't afford an airliner. If you want to buy me an airliner, we'll go fly one. Um, I tell you what, I'll buy it if you'll just support it for me. Well, there's that, too. There's that, too. When I say I can't afford an airliner, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. Uh, well, we probably ought to get this thing rolling here. Let me say this. You Welcome mean we're not rolling, rolling already? already? Oh, we're rolling, but, you know, we got to officially. Let's say that together. <laughs> the, the official. we got to roll the credits. That's right. Welcome, folks, to episode number 67 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're babbling yeah. and recording all 67. this babbling. One of, the, one of these days we're going to get this right. What? That's right. Oh, yes, I know. We'll get there. We'll get stop there. Practicing. We're recording this on uh, Friday evening, February 8th, 2008, a little bit later in the week than usual, but uh, I was traveling, as we just said, and uh, and I'm home now, and uh, we gathered in the hangar. So uh, what's the biggest... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say your names in a few minutes here, but I'm enjoying hey, this hey. conversation. So we're talking about little airplanes. What's the biggest airplane each of you have been pilot and command in? Legal pilot and command? Yeah. Loggable pilot and command. Uh... That's a good question. Ask me second in command. Okay, what's your second in command, Dave? The uh, biggest thing I've ever been second in command of was a, uh, a Challenger. Ah, okay. What was that circumstance? Uh, it was uh, a, a ride-along for a magazine article. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to, to uh, you know, uh, actually manipulate the controls and, and, and a bit like that. Yeah. Uh, Actually, maybe maybe the B seventeen. Yeah, there was one down here at Venice last weekend. I was uh, I got I got wrapped up and it was it left before I had got free, so I would have gone over there and tried to cajole them into something. But mm-hmm. ooh ooh ooh, what I, I I learned something today of, of kind of weird significance. Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this outfit on the on, on, on the podcast before, but there's a store here in Wichita called the Yard Store, which uh, Jeb I know is, is is familiar with from me talking about it to him. But it is a repository of surplus aircraft manufacturing yeah. tools and materials. Yeah, really, that sounds cool. Well, I found out today that at my favorite little uh, industrial park airport. Uh, Dead Cow International, the Leprechaun and his crew are prepping a vintage uh, 40s era Beach 18. Oh no! Sh- to go on a stand, <laughs> yeah. to go on a stand outside the yard store in downtown Wichita. Very cool. I was just blown away. The the, the airplane's been sitting at at Earl's at, at the Leprechauns for many many years. Uh, it. Uh, it, it, it's legacy. I'm not going to get into now, but you know, every once in a while, I'd ask, so you know, what, what, what's going to become of that? Well, they, you know, they haven't decided they want to fix it and get it airworthy again, and they haven't found a buyer for it. So there it sits. Well, apparently, the yard store uh, here in Wichita has purchased the airplane and has a, a, a an architect working on a stand to put it up above uh, Central. Uh, East Central Street, uh, where the yard store is located here in Wichita, it should be one hell of a landmark. Yeah, two two, two items. One, I just happen to be wearing my Dead Cow International T-shirt. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> um, second thing is, next time I'm out there for any length of time, you got to run me past that store. Oh yeah, anytime. Anytime. I need some, I need some quality time there. Uh huh. The tool place. Oh, you'll drool. You know, oh, yeah. everything from Clecos and Cleco tools to rivet shavers and uh, uh, micrometer drill stops and 
countersinks and 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 rivet squeezers and rivet guns and pneumatic grinders and pneumatic drills and just on and on and on and then there's the backyard that is just you know uh, acres of surplus materials aircraft grade aluminum sheet and channel and stop, angle stop it i'm starting to breathe heavily <laughs> yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah i wouldn't want you to have to uh yeah well <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to keep it. Not, yeah, I got to keep it at least PG-13. <laughs> Not very often speechless, but there he is right now. Is Dave? Yeah, Higdon. it was yeah. a picture I didn't want in my mind either. Yeah. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing okay, other than my more perverse <laughs> moments. <laughs> that does sound like a cool store. Is that so? Is the clientele primarily people who work in the manufacturing industry out there, or is it private people, or what's the? Oh, it's 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 individuals, uh, and and I mean all over the map. Uh, you'll see it. And tomorrow is Saturday. It will be particularly busy with people looking for materials for home projects or, or, or uh, 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 you know, government work that they're doing at their office or something like that. Uh, you know, and, and you can find all sorts of really uh, uh, unusual stuff. For example, when we decided to, and my bride Annie and I just started, decided to start selling some of my photography at a farm and art market, we found stainless steel braided cable there at the yard store with ends already swaged into it and and steel S-hooks out of which we crafted a homemade collapsible hanging system to go inside our easy-up display tent. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was uh, working on a home-built project that I didn't finish, I got uh, rivet squeezer, air drills, uh, air grinders, uh, rivet guns, Bucking bars, uh, flush, and 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 uh, uh, round rivet head uh, uh, tool fittings for the the guns, all of that stuff right down there at the yard store. Yeah, uh, and uh, and out there, I, I, go ahead. I've, I, I remember the uh, the rig you had in the in the gallery there, and the cabling and all that. That was quality stuff. That wasn't just you know somebody's afterthought threw it away. Oh, that's right. That's that's right. Uh, uh, when we did our gallery, we. We leaned very heavily on the yard store. For example, I bought several hundred feet of uh, three-quarter inch, uh, round-quarter square aluminum uh, tubing mm-hmm. that we cut up to and 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 ninety-degree brackets and uh, corner brackets, inside corner, and flat corner brackets. And out of that and the sheet metal screws, we crafted a hanging system for our gallery. And we used adjustable lengths of cable, and we bought cable down at the yard store by the uh, 400 foot spool. Mm-hmm. Yikes. For some ridiculous price, like four cents a foot or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that other voice out there this evening, who I think is probably on his computer screen right now, flight planning a trip to uh, Wichita, is uh, Jeb Burnside. <laughs> Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and he's also a contributing editor to Avweb Biz, and he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida, but soon to be in Wichita, Kansas, here in Sarasota. How you doing, Jeb? 
Fine, I'm fine. Actually, uh, uh, just a couple of uh, button tweaks on the 530, and that flight plan will be uh, tucked in, and uh, uh, just be a matter of managing the gas. Got to go shopping. Got to go. Got to go shop. That's right. What you yeah, been up to got- down there in sunny Florida? Oh, just working my little hiney off. Yeah. Um, getting. Uh, That's what you coaching- get. That's what you get for getting a real job. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, I'm getting coming up on deadlines on uh, on some magazines, and uh, you know, I kind of like to make you know meet meet those deadlines if I can. So, uh, last week's been uh, uh, just uh, steady work related stuff, but uh, definite light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, next what? week will be uh, a lot better. What's the What's and, the famous quote? It was like it was Douglas Adams, the guy who wrote uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. He said, yeah. "He said, I I love deadlines, especially the whooshing noise as it goes." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Especially, yeah, yeah. Um, my 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 de- my uh, deadline uh, um, quote of late uh, is, um, you know, I can't think of the artist's name right off the top of my head, uh, uh, but. Um, the, the the lyric goes, the song lyric goes, deadlines and commitments. What to leave in, what to leave out. Yeah, there you go. Oh, okay. well, that's uh, lyrics from a song. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. time time to do uh, time to do the load reduction, right? It's time to shed well, mass. Yeah. Well, let yes. me let, let me let that's, me. That's, uh, that's why I have my beer in in one hand and my mouse in the other. Right. Jeb, mm. r- real quick, yardstore.com yardstore.com oh man yep. he's not going to be paying attention to us now Dave what'd you do that for and because I am, want me paying attention to you and I am Jack Hodgson <laughs> I'm a private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer I'm up here in Boston Massachusetts who by the way so I'm in I'm in ooh, North Carolina fucking bars ooh <laughs> it's, like, it's like riveting porn. <laughs> yeah, this is this is tool porn. This is like you know every every day of the week, every week I get a you know Harbor Freight catalog. It's like <laughs> <you know. laughs> so I was in. I was I'm in sure your right off. hand is jealous. I was in um, beautiful go, North go. Carolina where it was 75 degrees. I came back to Boston, and it snowed. It's been snowing like pretty much every day up here for it's a February, week. Jack. I, it's, it's no business like snow business. I guess it's February. <laughs> I know. I'm really in denial about the fact that it's still winter. This is just – long-time yeah. listeners of the podcast will remember we went through this agony last year, too, and uh, maybe we should just stop it. No, 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 Jack. Well, according to you last week, winter is over. I, so, that's my point. Yeah, I, I, this you is know, what's you're so halluc- disturbing. I think you're hallucinating. Weather. Oh yeah, that's right. It's and I really... bet the other pilots in the Boston area don't freaking appreciate your hallucination. <laughs> okay, you yeah, think so, I, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Let's like let's. So now we will make the wavy lines. All right. You know we're we're tired of winter, so we're going to have that kind of <laughs> sun and fun notums out, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. What do you know? Uh, tell us about it. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Have you? Uh, just briefly. Probably, probably very close to the last year's. Actually, uh, there's some changes, uh, but uh, you know nothing. Nothing right. that uh, the it. smart, competent, able to read uh, private pilot who's going to sun and fun will have read before he gets to Lake Parker. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's the uh, right. The mantra. All right. So, uh, yeah, but there's there's some changes because they did things like they moved the seaplane splash yeah, from uh, Lake Parker over to uh, uh, the uh, uh, lake adjacent to Fantasy of Flight. Kermit Weeks Ooh, it's uh, in Living Museum. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Ooh. 
So something uh, to give you, you know, ink, ink, ink cartridge fits for. So yeah. so we know that, and we'll, and and when we get closer, we'll do a real official Sun and Fun preview show. But uh, there's going to be like what? It's the now I'm going to get embarrassed myself. Is it the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds? Thunderbirds. The Thunderbirds Thunder. are going to be at Sun and Fun this year, uh, which will be pretty exciting. And, yeah, uh, the last time they had a military team uh, display at Sun and Fun, it was the Blue Angels, and that's been far enough back. Uh, honest to God, that uh, I'd have to really dig to remember what year, because they have been long absent from uh, the Sun and Fun circuit for a lot of reasons. Have you heard of any other uh, interesting things that are going to appear at Sun and Fun this year? Uh, well, I understand the LSA people have a uh, enlarged and improved uh, display area uh, mm-hmm. inside the uh, entrance gate this year. Uh, they're going to have space for, I think, uh, 20, a little better than 20 display aircraft in the LSA area, and they're going to have more companies exhibiting in the LSA area this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, like, uh, they, like I mentioned before, they moved the seaplane splash. It's two days this year, and it's going to be over at uh, Kermit Weeks Fantasy of Flight, which is worth a side trip all, all on its own. And, uh, uh, boy, a couple other things that uh, I've read but escape me right now. Uh, of course, well, uncontrolled airspace is going to do two uh, podcasts. That's there, what I was going to mention. That uh, uh, and, uh, and we're going to be live on Sun and Fun uh, Radio. That's right. That's right. We can now announce we've uh, we we are actually you were talking with our friend, uh, your friend uh, Dave Shelbetter, the chairman of uh, Sun and Fun Radio, and uh, we finally worked out the details. And uh, they have been very gracious in inviting us back again, not just for one episode but for two. So we're going to do. Uh, so those of you who are going to be in the uh, Lakeland area uh, for Sun and Fun either on the grounds or are in the area, uh, make a note on your calendar on Tuesday afternoon, which is day one of the air show or the fly-in. Um, after the daily air show, we're going to do one episode. And then on Sunday, which is the final day of the fly-in, uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning, we're going to do another episode. And uh, these uh, episodes will be packaged up and put on the uh, internet feed, just as every episode is, but they'll also be aired live on uh, Sun and Fun Radio down Right, there. you can hear it as it happens. Uh, if you happen to be on the show grounds with your uh, with with your portable radio or in the immediate vicinity of uh, of uh, Lakeland Linder Regional Airport. Yeah. Uh, you don't even have to be on the show grounds to pick it up on the radio station. Yeah. And we're going to yeah. be at the uh, in the the all new Sun and Fun Radio facilities. Uh, they've moved. Uh, they have been the the guests of uh, I believe it was it's the FAA, right? And they've, they've yes. They've had a, a little portion of the FAA tra- uh, trailer that they've got there on behind the big FAA hangar. And and uh, and they finally the FAA has grown. The FAA is growing. Did you know that? Uh, but <laughs> but their Sun and Fun operations have grown to the point where they need the rest of their trailer. And so they were warned. Sun and Fun Radio was warned that they uh, they were going to need the space back. So they've apparently moved to a building. And I sort of can picture where this is, but I don't know how to describe it to people. So unless you have a good way of describing it, yeah, um, we'll have to scope it out or something. Um, well, um, it's uh, the old first aid building. Okay, uh, that's. Uh, Kind of behind the commercial area, and right next to the uh, big open shelter that's been the boys' club cafeteria, and the uh, for a couple of years it was uh, 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 Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, mm-hmm. and now it's you know in the hands of another food vendor. But if you go to the main food hall there, uh, adjacent to the commercial area, and go to the Go to the uh, east end, 
toward the back, you'll see a, a building there that's going to be Sun and Fun Radio this yeah. year. And we'll, uh, the, I'm sure the maps that they give you when you get on the yeah. facility, on the grounds will uh, tell you where it is, and we'll do a better job as we get closer of describing where it is. I'm hoping we're going to be out on some sort of deck or something so that uh, uh, we can watch the world go by, and maybe people could come by and say hi to us while we're we can, and we can grab people off the street literally and yeah, force right. them onto the podcast as, like as we did, we've done in the like past. We did last exactly. year, right? Exactly. Right. Hope I, I'm <laughs> very gratified uh, that we can do this again with. Uh, with Sun and Fun Radio, and uh, um, just very appreciative, and and we're looking forward to it. Uh, I hope they are, and I hope our listeners are. Yeah, it's going to be great. Very so, gracious and, uh, and, and, yeah. and surprisingly eager to have us back. Yeah. I was going to say, after that episode with the Very Easy, the Waco, and the Three Midgets, I, you know, I just can't imagine why they'd have us back. <laughs> we agreed to never speak of that again. We, I, oh, shoot, you're going to have to blip that out again. Tuesday, um, day one. To give the Three Midgets parachutes. I, uh, <clears throat> but I, I would have swear my heart. Oh, never mind, there's a turkey joke in there someplace. Uh, day one, Tuesday, Not after the Daily Air Show, and Sunday, the final day, 10 a.m. in the morning. That's at Sun and Fun. We're looking forward to it more on that later on yeah walk by what? you know just say hello wave uh yeah we'll, we'll wave back not. now yeah. one thing that's not coming back to sun and fun this i don't know how caught up you are on the forum so this this uh this grouper fingers restaurant across the way closed yeah. did you hear it this did this oh, is, I, we had a listener who was who was uh, going to treat us to grouper fingers. Oh, treat I, us, introduce us to grouper fingers. Yeah, they Wait were talking minute. about this in the forums. Yeah, Tony's Tony's restaurants closed. And and then and then there was a follow up post in the forum. I don't have the words in front of me, but there was a follow up post where he said, "My goodness, I went to to have dinner because this guy lives down in that area." He says, "I went to yeah. have dinner at Tony's, and uh, and there was a sign up saying tonight's our last night. We're closing." And uh, oh man, so uh, so what, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, I mean is is there someone else around there with grouper fingers? Uh, well, one would hope, huh? You know, oh, I mean, my God, well, there's, I a, hope. there's a culinary the humanity. The old, there's a culinary school over uh, near Choppertown uh, that's open for uh, the restaurant business during the air show. At least it has been the last several years. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt to uh, get a hold of I them and suggest they adopt the grouper yeah. fingers recipe of Tony's. Yeah, I remember something about that. In fact, I think that they do limited catering. Yeah, they do. Because uh, uh, I, I, somehow I've been to an event um, that was, I think, catered by that culinary school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, and or, uh, they have a they have a working restaurant there. It uh, sits up on the uh, second floor, and it's kind of a round, uh, uh, round room with wrapped uh-huh. around glass, and gives you a pretty bloody good view of the airport. Huh. Sounds which like could fun. be really cool in the evening. Sounds like fun. One one item here also, just talking about Sun and Fun um, in Lakeland and, and the show and everything else. I'm looking here at the arrival procedure um, from Lake Parker, and if I'm not mistaken, there is a tweak this year. Yes. Uh, in, in years past, uh, as I recall, you proceeded westbound from Lake Parker and went to uh, a couple of lighted towers and turned south, went over the water tower, and boom, there's the airport. Um, this year they have you following along I four. Uh, following I four, really? Yeah, yeah. You crossed I four twice, basically, in the old procedure. Right. This this year, you leave Parker, go west, a lot shorter distance. Then you turn maybe thirty degrees and start following I four. When you get to the between the water tower and the golf course, you turn again. You know, forty five degrees, whatever the whatever the. To be honest with you, that's my recollection of it last year. 
Really? Okay. Uh, I, my that, recollection that is be. that you depart the you depart uh-huh. the lake um, uh-huh. until you intersect a highway. I don't remember that it was an interstate, but a big highway. You fly right. along the highway for a little bit until uh-huh. you get to the uh, what the the white water tower that's not white anymore or something like that. And that's, that's not that you may be exactly right, Jack. And we that may be exactly what we flew last year. I was just kind of playing follow the leader, but I don't remember that. Uh, I, I thought it was always a, a right angle turn in years past. Yeah, my recollection, you were still but, dizzy from all the turns we made over Lake Parker. Um, no, I was still uh, um, cussing out the controller. That's true. He was giving us a hard time, wasn't he? He was not. He he knew how to fly your airplane way better than you did. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, well, he had the benefit of being on the ground. Well, and his chair was not moving nearly as fast. Yeah. Yeah, and it was facing the same direction constantly. That's what I'm telling you, going around and around circles was a little more disorienting than I expected it to be. And I wasn't even flying the airplane, although I, my, I was looking around so much for traffic. Oh, yeah, you had, you had your head on a swivel. Uh, I was really, really twisting and turning. Anyways. You have to. You have to. You, you have to. Yeah. But in yeah. any event, whether you're familiar with – so this is an obvious example of whether you think you're familiar with the procedure or not, you need to study the procedure and make sure you know all its little uh, you know, pre-existing and new idiosyncrasies. We got to move on here, uh, uh, Dave. I think you put up this story about the Virginia Aviation Ambassadors Program, but one would think this mm-hmm. is a Jeb kind of story. Do who, which one oh. of you knows more about this? Uh, Dave, go ahead. I, I'm familiar with it, um, but uh, Dave put it up, so I'll let him take the take the lead. Uh, I'm not possessive. Uh, well, uh, the, as I uh, understand it, it's it's what you know, is it. Vir- Virginia or VDOT's aviation department, first of all, is very good. It's one of the best ones in the country as far as Absolutely. I've seen. Has been for um, years. Has been for years. And what they do, uh, what they, they reach out. They do a lot of outreach. They have a very good chart. They're at all the, the trade shows, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this Virginia Ambassadors Program, I believe it's called, yep. uh, is, is basically a, um, uh, an incentive program for Virginia-based pilots, or I guess perhaps any pilots based anywhere, to visit all of the airports, all of the public airports in Virginia. And if they do so and they can demonstrate it by, you know, a log entry or or something like that, they get a certificate. There's They're entered into a, uh, a roster of, of pilots who have done all this. There might be some other uh, benefits, this kind of thing. And I, I know of several people who have participated in this. I presume that they completed the, uh, uh, the uh, required uh, landings at all the different airports, et cetera. Uh, it, it's kind of neat, actually. Um, other states should would would do well to uh, um, you know embrace this. States like Delaware, of course, you could do it in one day. But uh, um, um, in Virginia, it takes you a little, little bit longer. Well, I got bad news. What's that? Yeah, I was just looking at the the web link that I put up, and yeah. a press release out today. They're canceling February, it. Today's still February eighth, right? Yeah. Let me check. Here it is. Okay. Yep. Friday, February. Oh, yeah, look at this. Virginia Department of Aviation temporarily suspends Aviation Ambassador Awards. Oh, man. Due to low aviation revenue collections. Uh, uh, was established in 05, uh, and everything, as Jeb said, to uh, mm-hmm. encourage mm-hmm. pilots and general public to visit Virginia's 66 public use airports, attend pilot safety seminars, and visit the museums in the state. And they have bronze, silver, and gold recognition uh, for participants who fly 
or drive and their passengers that they drag along to, the, to all of these too. So uh, we can only hope that uh, somehow funding becomes available to continue this because I, I, I've never heard or, or, or read of a better mm-hmm. way to promote aviation yeah. in a state than this simple little program. It is. And some of the stats here, according to this press release, 137 pilots have participated in and completed uh, Virginia's Aviation Ambassador Program. Um, it was established in a little over two years. That's that's what I was going to say. Established in 2005, so we're looking at less than three years. Um, and uh, there's 66 public use airports in Virginia. You clearly can't, you can probably do it in a weekend, but it's going to be a long one. Well, they kind of intended it to be a, a long term. Right. And reading some of the posts on the, uh, on the discussion board, I was really impressed with how, you know, uh, dedicated and uh, organized some of the successful participants uh, had been that had posted messages or some of the uh, aspiring successful participants had posted. So what did you get before they shut this thing down? If you just did, you get like <clears throat> recognition, recognition, I guess. Was, All right. Well, see, this yeah. is just I mean, so disappointing. Any, there's not any monetary. There, you know, this is so disappointing that Virginia would drop the ball on this thing here. Here's what we're going to do. This is totally yeah. off the wall. You guys haven't heard. I'm just uh, literally uh, came uh, up with this idea uh, uh, just this very second here. Put a time hack in here. So we, we are know going what, to, we are going to create the uncontrolled airspace visit your local airports award program all right Mm -hmm. and here's what happens anybody whether you're a pilot or just an aviation enthusiast i'm making this up as i go along so throw in your ideas all right um if you visit uh let's say 15 airports within 100 miles of your home base whether it's your home airport or your home whatever um and and like their program you can either fly or drive just visit an airport go there look around say hi to the folks check it out uh, and maybe put a forum poll. We'll create a section on the forums. How's that? And you post a little bit, and anybody who collects 15 or more of these will find some swell prize. No, not a prize. We did that once before. No prizes, but a, cert- <laughs> a we certificate. Up, we can make up a certificate. A certificate and some recognition yeah, yeah. and bragging rights, and maybe there'll be a hat involved. I don't know. You know, a very we'll limited put your name. We'll put your name on a the limited edition list. hat or something like that. Okay. You know, because come on, this is a great idea. It motivates people to go out and visit their airports. Let me say this. If you're all, it's got to be an airport that you've never visited before. All right. It's got to be 15 new airports to you within 100 miles of your home base. What do you think? My only suggestion is let's make it an even dozen. That's one a month Mm -hmm. in a year. Okay, so in a a 12-month period, 12 airports that you've never visited before, you can either fly if you're a pilot or drive if you're not a pilot. And and yeah. especially if you're not a pilot, get involved, do this, and uh, you'll, you'll learn, you'll, you'll see some interesting how, plans. How are, we, how are they going to demonstrate that they have, in fact, visited uh, 12 airports? They need to write a paragraph about the airport, just some notable... Thing. I, I was going to su- I was going to suggest a low res JPEG of them standing in front of the airport sign. And, that, uh, that. I, no, no, you're absolutely right. Here's how they do it. I get, you're absolutely right. This is not a uni- this is not an original idea for me, but this is the way we should do it. You need to get an eight and a half by twelve piece of paper <laughs> with a black magic marker. You need to write the letters UCAP on this piece of paper. You need to hold this piece of paper in front of your body and with the airport in the background and have someone take your picture. Okay. 
Okay. okay. And preferably like next to a sign. Yeah, something identifiable. That, no, absolutely. Which airport you're at. Yeah, no, and absolutely. It's that you, you can do this by yourself. You just put the camera on the hood of your car or something or yeah. take a tripod. That's right. Something identifiable. The, the airplane. The, uh, the show the uh, control tower in the background or the mm-hmm. sign that's that, that, uh, you know, at the gate or something uh, distinctly identifiable. You know, airplane. The FAA the, inspectors the, running out of the terminal to try to ca- catch you before you take off again. That's right. That's um, right. And and the calendar for your year starts when you visit the first one. Yeah, yeah. Or or, or when you restart, you just got to show us twelve within twelve months. Right. Jack Jack will type up all of these different rules that we're spouting out here and, and right. post them on the website. That's right. Because <laughs> because darn it, if Virginia's going to drop the ball, we're going to pick it well, up. Well, you know, I think that's a great idea, Jack. And sincerely, and and uh, um, yeah, this is this is cool. Right. We make this happen. The, the and, UCAP and let us let us program. know if there's you know an event that you went to or a restaurant that you went to or whether it was just a, a you know just for the heck of it drop in visit you'd never you'd heard of this airport never been there went down walked the runway said hello met some other airheads and flew back cool mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. absolutely oh see I'm not going to talk about this next item it's just too depressing we're going to skip we- one um, okay Cessna's got to get to China uh-huh. somehow. Uh-huh. What's uh-huh. the story, Jeff? Oh, yeah. This, I just, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just putting two and two together here and probably come on, coming up with 37. Uh, re- recalling all of the brouhaha about uh, uh, how Cessna's uh, LSA entry, the Skycatcher, Model 162, is going to be assembled in China. Uh, not long right. after. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. China China comes up and, and I mean China. Cessna comes up and says, hey, we're going to. Um, develop this new large cabin biz jet. It's going to have a 4,000-mile range. And, and, of course, the light bulb goes off and says, well, of course. They don't want to ride the airlines to China to check on a production. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to build their own jet. <laughs> you know. uh, and that, so, that's some long-term planning because they started working on this uh, uh, on this large cabin concept that they now call the Columbus a couple of years about ago. five or six years ago. Well, at NBA a couple of years ago, they were kind of testing marketing it they were saying you know we don't have a name for this and we don't know what engines we're going to use and you know but what we kind know of we're going to sell it yet we don't even know if we're going to make this thing yet but but here's the mis- mock-up yeah yeah <laughs> yeah here's a mock-up well this is this was i'm thinking even before the mock-up but they were like okay you mr business aviation consumer um what would you like what would you want in the way of features in the way of performance specifications etc cetera, etc cetera. and oh by the way how much are you willing to pay and, and it was it was good market research on their part and it was to no one's great surprise they've recently announced the, the citation columbus large cabin uh, jet, which uh, uh, Cessna's answer, I guess, to the Gulfstream uh, fleet. But uh, uh, they, as I say, they got to get to China somehow. So, here you well, go. you know, on a serious side, Citation 10 and uh, mm-hmm. since the 10, the Sovereign right. have been the two biggest jets in their, in their uh, uh, product line. And if a longtime Citation customer outgrew that that size range, the sure. mid, you know, the, the midsize, uh, and needed something more in the large cabin category, they, they, they didn't have a citation to, uh, to Cessna didn't have a citation to offer. So this is, you know, serious stuff. They're moving into an entirely new category. Interestingly enough to me is that they're taking a somewhat similar approach 
with manufacturing the Columbus that they're taking with the Scott catcher. They're farming out the major fabrication. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spirit Aerosystems here in Wichita, which was once upon a time Boeing Wichita, before Boeing spun it off or sold it off, uh, is uh, on tap to uh, sign a contract here shortly to build the uh, the fuselage and, and, and other elements of the airplane. Uh, it's going to be a entirely new work for uh, Spirit, which already builds the entire fuselage for all the 737s that Boeing makes Mm -hmm. ships the entire thing up to seattle on a on a rail car already assembled into one piece so they should have uh, a a pretty uh good feel for doing a smaller job that takes a smaller floor space lower volume and they only have to put it on a truck and ship it across town Hmm. yep yep so uh yeah, so they they made their own airplane. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, the they're eating their own dog food. To uh, so is that the saying? Uh, they they're, they're making oh never mind eating their own dog food. Yeah, isn't that the saying when when you use your own product? You know, when you're like uh, you're, you're you you rec- you, know, you you acknowledge that your product is good enough that you're willing to use it. And uh, oh, I, okay, I, I, that's okay. not one I'd heard before. Uh, that's not one I'd heard. I may, that be, must be, I may be getting must, it wrong. Yeah. It's something like but, that. Must be a February in Boston thing. Yeah, I, I got through college without having to resort to dog food. So yeah. So it's some combination of the fact that there's so much stuff continuing to go on in the forums, and I've been away for more most of the last week that I've fallen way behind on reading a lot of things that are going on over there. And D- ditto. Uh, but uh, but there is a lot of good stuff. I'm going to get caught up soon. But I did, um, I, and actually we didn't uh, t- uh, read any snippets last week because we did the special episode with Mike Bush. So I have a few that from that are up to maybe you know a week or six days old. But uh, I wanted to kind of share with you a few a few interesting posts from the forums area. Uh, this first one is from listener who calls himself on the forums Punky. Um, actually, I believe his name is Dave, uh, and uh, he's been doing a lot of interesting things on the forum. But he writes this. He says, London, Ontario is not far across the U.S. border from Buff- the Buffalo-Niagara region. It was by chance that I stumbled onto it late last night. I flew a few friends over to London for, uh, to show them what a $100 hamburger is like. And he says, with a name like Katana Cafe and Grill, I expected a burger sandwich joint. Wow, was I wrong, he says. It's a restaurant that's right on the tarmac of London's International Airport. He says, it's really not as intimidating as it sounds, I assure you. Uh, in fact, I parked the plane literally feet from the door. It's well lit, and at a glance does does have the cafe feel to it until you get in and sit down and soak up the place. He says it's much more refined than that. The menu is two pages, one for one for starters and one for entrees. He says it sounds limiting, but I think I, I don't think we've ever spent so much tri- time trying to pick what to order, only because everything sounded perfect and fantastic. Menu prices were twenty-two to thirty dollars, uh, but we felt like we were getting gourmet food at discount prices. He says I can't recommend this place enough. I can, and then apparently he's from Canada. He says I consider Americans to be family to us Canadians, so I hope you'll hop in your plane and head up for a quick flight across the border. Customs is available at London, and there's an FBO about thirty feet from the Katana Cafe, so it's a one-stop shop. And, uh, Interesting name for the cafe, and I bet it's totally unrelated to the fact that Diamond Aircraft, which sells an airplane called the Katana, is based on the same field. Oh, got to be a coincidence. 
I, I, you think? I don't know. I would say it's not a coincidence. Unless it, it sounds great. I mean, uh, uh, Jack didn't read it, but uh, Punky went into some details on meats on the menu real quick and dirty. He had a choice between lamb, bison, pork tenderloin, chicken, fillet of beef, and seafood all on this, on this cafe's menu. And i got to tell you, I'm a big fan of bison. Uh, I, I've never had it. What's it like? Down here. Uh, Tastes like chicken. No, <laughs> no. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that it's it's kind of a, a a gamier beef, kind of a. It's 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 a richer flavor. Uh, it's a richer flavor and not as oily or not greasy at all. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's quite different in, in a lot of ways from from good beef, particularly grass fed beef. Uh, we have a chain restaurant. Uh, uh, two editions of a chain restaurant here in town called Ted's Montana Grill. And the building is styled in the uh, turn of the 19th century, 20th century uh, uh, restaurant and, and uh, uh, hotel. Uh, and the inside's finished out that way. But their big uh, claim to fame is that for every cut of beef that you can imagine, you know, whether filet mignon or ribeye or sirloin or T-bone, uh, prime rib and, and anything in between, and burgers. The menu offers you the choice between uh, uh, top grade beef or buffalo raised on the farms here in the states uh, of the uh, uh, namesake of the restaurant, Ted mm-hmm. Turner. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. And and when we go out there periodically, it's one of our favorite places. Uh, it's very rare that I don't get the buffalo version the bison version of whatever it is i'm having that night it's just really good we've got a couple of uh burger joints here in town that serve bison too really? it's a kind of a richer sweeter meat uh if you had side by side exactly the same cuts cooked the exact same way you would notice a difference but i'm not sure you'd be able to explain it any better yeah Interesting. Well, that's Love the it, the Katana Grill, the Katana Cafe and Grill at, at London, London, Ontario, just over the border from the Buffalo area. Listener calls himself PVS in the forums. Writes, "Hi, I'm looking forward to the day when I will be able to fly my family to their vacation destination in our club Cherokee." But he says, "With a 16-month-old toddler, that day seems quite far away." He says, "My six-year-old has flown with me once and seemed bored by the experience, which is a good thing, I guess." He writes, "Yeah, it is a good thing." <laughs> he says, uh, "So it's the little one that I'm uncertain about." He says, "Advice from anyone with some experience would be highly appreciated." Um, he asks about ear protection use of car seats oxygen issues uh, he says i don't fly very very high but one wonders if kids are affected differently he says thanks in advance pvs so jeb i know you have kids and dave i believe you have kids right um, yes yeah did you fly with them when they were quite young i did and what was the experience uh, did you take any of these kinds of precautions i mean what what's the what are the issues the uh well the issues are for kids are just the same as they are for for adults um there's the airplane is noisy. Um, the car seat um, is at, at, at that age. That's a good at, idea. At, yeah, at that age is a great idea. Not so much, you know. I, I'm a lot less worried about you know crashing into something in the airplane. Uh, I figure, you know, if I hit something with the airplane, I got a whole different set of problems. Um, but um, the, the car seat in the airplane deal is is um, useful from 
turbulent standpoint, but also just from a utility standpoint, the, the, the child is small. And that's why we have car seats to begin with. They don't fit into, into regular seats. Uh, the seat belts don't match up, et cetera, et cetera. Keeping them secure for, turbulent re- for turbulence reasons and just generally roaming around the cockpit or the cabin of the airplane is, is a good idea. So you, you definitely – yeah, you definitely want to you know consider a car seat for any child that that will fit into one, and and uh, it's not rocket science. Grab the one out of the car that you drove to the airport and stick it in the airplane. Well, um, and, uh, put myself put put yourself in the child's place for right. a second, which is you know a, a world I'm still quite capable of visiting. Uh, but uh, it's Without a lot any more help whatsoever. A lot, a lot more interesting for the child if they're high enough to be able to see out the right. windows. Right. Uh, yeah, so years ago it, when I was um, uh, shall we say a lot younger uh, and trying to you know, sitting right front seat, and my father was in the left seat, and I couldn't see over the, the panel. I couldn't see squat. I could see, you know, um, you know, um, you know, fuel gauges, and I guess maybe I was in charge of, you know, making sure we didn't run out of gas or something. But uh, I could see plenty of stuff out the side window, but nothing over the front panel unless I really raised up in the seat and and craned my neck over the over the instrument panel. But those days are long gone. Chin strap for hearing protectors or headsets whichever you choose to use yeah. real good idea to help Very keep the headset in place as far as oxygen uh, i talked to a doctor about this once uh and uh, the doctor was talking to me about kids and dogs in the same general uh, uh situation uh their lungs are smaller uh, they may not, you know, they're cleaner, they haven't smoked or, you know, had bad habits yet or anything like that. But the fact that their lungs are smaller, the worst it's going to do is that they're going to nod off. Mm-hmm. That's what happens to a lot yeah. of dogs. Their lungs yeah. function differently at altitude. They tend to lay down and go to sleep because they're, you know, not dangerously hypoxic, but they're, you know, not uh, processing as much oxygen as they normally would. And they just get calm and, for the most part, go to sleep. And, but the uh, issue. Go ahead. Go ahead. Dan. I was just going to say. So it, it, it. Uh, if if you're worried about going very high, you know, turn the O2 on, put them on a cannula. But otherwise, just sit back and enjoy the fact that they're napping and uh, and mm-hmm. and having a good ride. The one issue that um, PVS does not raise uh, involving infants is um, uh, the. Um, Equalizing the pressure in their ears that you get, uh, the pressure differences that you get from from climbing to altitude and then descending. Um, for adults uh, or at least adolescents, whom, whom you know, you know, you can teach how to how to do a Valsava maneuver, for example, or something like that. Uh, it's not an issue, but for infants uh, who re- you really can't teach something like this to, um, you you do need to kind of think about it and plan ahead. And the way um, um, uh, we dealt with this was, uh, you're you're taking you know baby bottles on the on the flight anyway. Uh, we kind of tried to save one up uh, for the children, child children, um, 
and uh, give them a bottle as we took off and as we started climbing to altitude and another one as we descended. That or You could use a pacifier too, although pacifiers sometimes in, in, in the situation with my kids didn't work quite as well as a real bottle, yeah. uh, a formula bottle, of course. Um, and, and, and what the, obviously you're, you're, they're sucking on the, on the bottle and, and they're getting all this pressure changes manually in their, in their uh, sinuses and that helps equalize the pressure. And we never had a problem, um, uh, with the kids, uh, unable, in, inability to, to equalize their ears. So, uh, uh, we did, uh, I won't say a lot of flying with the kids, but, uh, certainly enough. And, uh. Uh, I've got a somewhere. I've got a snapshot uh, from I don't know eighty six, eighty seven, uh, with my son who then was uh, I don't know. He looked like about a, uh, a year, uh, something like that. So I guess this would have been eighty six, uh, about a year old. You know, sitting in his car seat in the in the back of a one seventy two, and and just as happy as as can be. And um, you know, uh, he's he's. He's been flying ever since then, and uh, he's he's bored by it also. Um, uh, he sits in the back seat and, and you know plays a video game or reads a comic book or sleeps or, or something like that. And uh, uh, he could kind of take it or leave it. He he would definitely rather travel with me than on an airliner. Um, but uh, beyond that, is, is the, the aviation side of things doesn't really excite him that much. My daughter, on the other hand, is a little bit different. And uh, I, I was looking, poking around the the forums here uh, while we were talking earlier, and a uh, uh, question about uh, um, my daughter's uh, flight uh, flight lesson. We talked last summer about uh, her starting some lessons, and I'll, I'll I'll respond to that on the forums, and, and maybe we can talk about it some some other episode. But okay. I've taken up too much time here right now. All right, the bottle idea, by the way, is is, is yeah. the best yeah. idea I've ever heard for yeah. for. Uh, would, would not be inappropriate for a child that was old enough to be mm-hmm. off the bottle, but not yet old enough to be given chewing gum. Right, right. Now, a child that doesn't know how to chew chewing gum or doesn't really have good teeth yet, too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's how we dealt with the, uh, the uh, equalization of pressure in the years issue, and uh, it, it worked out every single time. Cool, cool. Listener uh, Mad Max, who's one of the real regulars in the forum, he area, is, yeah, is uh, and has has made a lot of really fascinating contributions. Um, in part of a conversation about cutting corners, uh, whether or not you should and why, and all the you know <laughs> issues about cutting corners on aircraft maintenance, writes this. He says, he says, hell, in my Mooney, the magnetic compass was always a piece of garbage. I'm, I'm reading ahead. Yeah, you guys are reading ahead here. He says, he says, I mean, I just it just gave you a hint of the direction you were headed until you were straight and level. Then he writes. He says, but when I pulled the headliner this past fall while we were doing a new interior, there was a four by six inch car stereo speaker for the cabin speaker with a magnet that I could probably use to pull the airplane out of the hangar instead of a tug. I said, he says, and it was, get this, it was secured through the sheet metal, uh, uh, Secured through the sheet metal screw from the outside top. He says, yeah, I always wondered what that screw was for. So he says, I pulled that all out. I had an aviation-grade speaker put in and relocated as far aft as I could. So uh, now, And and this prompted me to wonder, uh, is this kind of thing common for older aircraft? These these just really outrageous, perhaps, I don't know, illegal, inappropriate uh, modifications? Shouldn't this kind of thing have been logged, that this piece of equipment was added? 
I'm not sure that replacing that speaker is under the owner allowed maintenance list, uh, but it is not uncommon when you're talking about an older airplane to occasionally find something that some past owner may have done with the best of intentions, but maybe not the best of knowledge. And it's really easy for me to imagine a prior owner of that Mooney saying, you know, the speaker is shot. I need something that sounds better. And going down to the local stereo store and coming back with that puppy, this will sound a lot better. (laughs) Uh, In the meantime, the mag compass is just spinning like a dervish. Oh, hell, it's it's showing the same heading no matter which way you go. Right, right, you know. Right, it's um, always north in the Mooney. Right. Uh, <laughs> now, but, uh, here's here's my question. I guess two things. One, Dave um, answered Jack's question probably about as judiciously as I've ever heard it answered. Um, uh, second thing, though, is or about as judiciously as David has ever said anything. Right? <laughs> well, there's that too. <laughs> uh, second thing, of course, is you know that's the way it came when I bought it. So what, who, who am I to say anything? Um, well, and that's it, not something you'd necessarily check on a pre-purchase either. No, I've not heard of anybody having right. worries about ADs or serviceability of the cockpit speaker because right. so few of us use it all that much. Um, well, you're, and, and you're exactly right. And I remember taking my airplane, my overhead, uh, I'm sorry, taking the overhead in my airplane apart. And uh, I've got a little cabin speaker up there. And it looks like something that you could get at Radio Shack for about four ninety nine. Um, and in fact, there's a there's a switch um, in that overhead that uh, turns that, that controls a um, kind of a floodlight arrangement, um, and the floodlight is in there and all this kind of thing. And and the switch was looking a little grody, and I kind of looked at it and and said, oh, this is you know this is no this is a no brainer, and went down and took it down to the Radio Shack, and sure enough, they got a, an exact duplicate of the same switch. And uh, installed it with my A and P's blessing, and and we're off and running. Um, did I make a logbook entry on to that? No, because it's it's basically the the same part going in uh, that I took out uh, a four by six or a six by nine. You know, with a I remember you know back in the day, you know, six by nine speakers with fifty ounce magnets were the were the deal. You hook those up oh, to an eight track, yeah, yeah, hook hook those up to an eight track, and and. Uh, you know, everybody at the McDonald's was hopping Saturday night. So, you know. Uh, but, well, I remember uh, going through a pre-purchase on an airplane that, for many reasons, we wound up not buying. That when we uh, took the wingtips off to uh, take a look at the uh, inside of the wings behind the uh, tips for, you know, corrosion or uh, damage repair or anything like that. How many we birds to flew look out? At the, We happened to look at the recognition lights. And uh didn't look right to the A and P and it didn't look what I'd like what I'd seen before in recognition lights, so we pulled the lens off and lo and behold it was an automotive bulb. It was a yellow it automotive should, bulb or something? Well it was it was a white automotive bulb uh-huh, but uh-huh. at twelve volt, but it was not the reflector bulb of the right <laughs> specification to go in that recognition light. <laughs> so you know, and uh, we we left it in there, and we put everything back together. Then we turned the lights on, and the if, if I remember right, the right wing tip had 
an approved bulb, the, the, the appropriate bulb. The left one had the automotive bulb and was given off about one-tenth the illumination of the one on the right side and went around and looked at the uh, taillight and, oh, damned if that one wasn't an automotive bulb, too. I mean, you well, couldn't see- have seen it from a half a mile away in the dark. All of these, all these bulbs, of course, came from the National Aircraft Parts Association store on the other <laughs> on the other side of town. <laughs> so you know, it is not you know, uh, Mad Max. It is not unheard of. It's not completely unusual, uh, and. You know, fortunately, your your DG worked better than your compass. That's right. I don't know how the hell you set your DG, but <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well. Let's see. Now, final one, final uh, uh, clip from the uh, forums. This is uh, from listener Toronado, uh, and uh, he's uh, writing about another listener in the forums, uh, student pilot Rick, who we've actually read. We've read actually things from both these guys in the past. Um, Toronado writes tonight. Student pilot Rick and I got together for a few frosty adult beverages and a bite to eat and a great two hours of waxing aviotic. He said oh, cool. uh, it was a great yeah. time and great to meet someone else as passionate about flying as I am. Thanks to the gang for creating this community where pilots can gather. And thanks to Rick for getting together with me tonight. I look forward to defying gravity with you in the future. So I just want to, you know, That's I think cool. it's so cool that it is. that people are getting together and meeting new people and new friends and learning more about aviation. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we always babble about the, about the, uh, the new pilot training starts that we hear of through, uh, through our listeners. And well, uh, we're always saying, get involved, get engaged. Don't just make, you know, flying something that you drop into the airport to do and drop out of the airport when you're done, you know, be part of a community, whether it's through an EAA chapter or a CAF chapter or local pilots association or whatever. Uh, because it's so much more interesting and so much more fun to share some of this with your like-minded folks. So, tip of my wing to Toronado and Studio yeah. Pilot Rick for you know, uh, uh, first off, being in close enough proximity to do this out of our widespread uh, population, and uh, for you know whatever role we had in hap- making it happen, uh, way cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thanks, thanks to all these listeners uh, and all of the listeners who are getting involved with the forums. It's very cool, and uh, we love hearing from you. So let's see now. A couple months ago, we talked about the fact that we were kind of pleased that the president had nominated to be the new administrator of the FAA candidate who we felt was acceptable, was perhaps more than acceptable to uh, to everyone involved, and, and we were optimistic that this, this guy was going to get uh, – get uh, confirmed without an awful lot although it had been delayed for some reason um we thought it was gonna gonna happen and uh, and if and the uh and the hearings were scheduled to be yesterday and in fact i don't know did they actually hold the hearings the upshot oh, of this, yeah the oh, upshot of yeah. this all is not so much uh, uh apparently a couple of uh one of you guys want to summarize this story but apparently the uh, whole thing's now been blocked and now they're thinking that that bobby's not going to make it and uh my goodness what a mess my yeah, my goodness, what a mess! I think what's what's going on here, um, Senators uh, Lautenberg and Menendez of both of New Jersey, both Democrats, um, have announced or, or in fact filed uh, formally that they are going to block 
uh, Bobby Sturgill's nomination to head the FAA. They're they're basing uh, their decision um, on uh, alleged inaction, action or inaction by Sturgill relative to the um, the East Coast plan. The East Coast plan is uh, um, a perennial um, thing, if you will. It's totally political, whereby. Um, Whichever communities uh, scream the loudest about jet noise, uh, whichever communities around um, uh, the New York City area and perhaps Philadelphia also um, scream the loudest about airliner noise, um, get routed around. Uh, and of course, uh, there's there being no free lunch. When the routes change, some communities get relief, some communities get more noise. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's almost and, a no-win for the FAA. Yeah, it, it is a no-win for the FAA, and they shouldn't even tilt at this windmill. They 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 shouldn't you know play this game at all. But you know, Lautenberg um, it has really been a prick on on this for, uh, for for decades. I remember him pulling shenanigans like this back in the eighties. And um, he's he's yeah, still he's been doing on that committee now. a long time. Yeah, well, he's he's been on a probes. Uh, excuse me, a Senate appropriation for a long time, and and uh, I don't know what. Can, I guess this is commerce, uh, commerce, science, and transportation right. is what they used to call it. But. Yeah, uh, I think it's still the still the name. Um, and commerce is the is Senate committee with jurisdiction over uh, FAA nominations. Uh, I, I presume he's. I don't know if he's doing this from the committee or doing it from the floor. I guess is my punchline. Um, so. Um, but but is, is, they're just being schmucks. Uh, well, Sturgill's there's, problem. There's, a, there's, there's, other there, there's another issue here. Yeah, there's another there's issue. Other here. objections to Sturgill as yeah. well. It's not strictly wrapped up on the East Coast plan. Right. That's just the most visible. Right. Uh, but that's the easiest here, pinata to hit. Here, here's the other issue, though. And if, if they were using this as a uh, uh, as their rationale, I could perhaps get a little bit further behind it. Uh, and the rationale is this. Here we are now in February of 08, <clears throat> less than a year until the next president takes over. Uh, if Sturgill was nominated or if Sturgill was confirmed, he would start a five-year term. Yeah. And there, there is a logic in letting the next president, whomever that is, um, choose his or her own uh, uh, FAA administrator and putting him or her in for, for, for five years. So there is kind of a logic there, but um, that's not the, 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 the choice that's being made here. We, we all believe – well, I shouldn't say we all believe. A, a, a large number of us believe that the underlying motive is what's holding up Sturgill, and the rest of it's just rationalization to, to, yeah. to get the job done without really admitting that they would like it to be held for the next guy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in the meantime, of course, Sturgill is the acting administrator, so he's doing the job anyway, yeah. and they're kind of getting the best of both worlds out of it. So, um, well, and in, in, on, on another front, on another front related to the FAA and the Fed and all that, uh, Sturgill is getting uh, less love, partly because he's having to carry water. For the administration, and Jack, I'll warn you right now. Here I go, uh, having to carry water. I knew it was the Administration on this uh, uh, stupid, brainless, bankrupt proposal 
to create a user fee system and you know more than double FAA or GA fuel taxes uh, at the same time to uh, fund the FAA out of this bogus uh, sales point that somehow the current funding stream is inadequate to do the jobs that have to be done, like NextGen and ADSB and uh, airport development and, and grants programs, when all the evidence clearly shows that the current system produces more money than they can spend now, more money than they're going to be allowed to spend now. And, and, and once again, the... Thank you. Once again, the president has come out with um, his 09 budget proposal, uh, dead on arrival, uh, I think it was probably dead before it arrived, I think this year. Um, and once again, um, the FAA's budget proposal with, with uh, I'm sorry, presuming that, that uh, user fees are enacted as the White House has proposed, once again shows less revenue coming into the FAA through user fees than is currently the case under present law. Um, I, I really, truly wish I had some of what they're smoking down there. Uh, it would be a lot more fun <laughs> and having to read about it's it and, just, and listen to it. It's politics. I mean, they've, they've got to do I know that it's because politics, they're trying to support their their, their dying pro- their dying proposal for the reauthorization. Well, they are still they're still trying to dance with the ones that brought them to the party yeah. over they, at the Air Transport Association. I'm no big fan of the administration either, but the reality is that if they if they submitted a budget that didn't have their user fee program in it, it would totally end any chance of their reauthorization plan going through. So it's kind of natural politics. I mean, it's just... No, I understand, no, I understand they, that, but that doesn't they, mean... Go ahead. I was just going to say, if they submitted a proposal that closely matched what the House passed and what the majority of the Senate supported uh, in the last session of this Congress, this puppy would get done in a few weeks. But they chose not to. They chose to just change the dates, and 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 by the way, it, you know, mildly eviscerate things like R and D and airport grants and small community services program, air services program, and several other areas where they are cutting funding in times of growing revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, this puppy could walk through in no time at all. They changed the dates. They changed a few numbers. They gutted a few things, and they sent it back with the same bankrupt proposals that they sent up a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go anywhere a year ago. What makes them think with the same exact set of congressmen and senators that it was going to go any farther this time just shows how lame-brained, weak-thinking those people are to expect it's going to sell. Yeah, I mean, isn't yeah. that the definition of insanity, repeating the same mistake that is the same thing that doesn't work over well, and over again? Well, I don't know if it was – I don't know if it was you or Jack, but uh, someone re- just said, uh, you know, you dance with the one you brung. And, yeah, that's pretty much this administration's uh, um, modus operandi. Um, the, the trick here, of course, is that they long ago sold out to the airlines um, on FAA and FAA funding, and uh, they're going to continue to dance with the one they came to the prom with. Um, you'd, you'd think they'd want to do something successful. But, well, you, you know, you I'm so think, used to them, you know, yeah. failing and claiming success that you know they'll claim success with whatever Congress finally gets the, up to the president. Yeah. 
One of the so, reasons I was never very good at any of this was because I always kind of thought that maybe, you know, good policy should have been the outcome of, of some of this rather than, you know, one group of people or another group of people or one party or another party getting getting some benefit out of it. You know, I, I always thought that maybe, you know, for some stupid reason that good policy should have been the outcome. And, of course, you know, it was a very naive attitude, and which is why I no longer do that. Well, it's, but, it's no uh, longer – it's not really totally naive because we have had administrations well, it, where it, good it is policy naive. was the goal and the outcome. It's naive now. Well, this is true. Mm-hmm. This is true. Seven years and, and uh, you know, a month in, we should know by now. Yeah. So is uh – Having said all this, is Bobby Sturgill, who by all accounts is a pretty decent guy, uh, is Bobby Sturgill going to be a casualty of all this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Will Will he lose his number two spot at FAA, or he just won't become the administrator? He's going to uh-huh. be the caretaker until January, and then will he? Yeah. Well, you know, well, probably until February or, or March, actually, because you know, sticking in. Uh, FAA is not going to go anywhere for a couple of months if the next president doesn't nominate somebody. Yeah. Well, it's true, but at the uh, at, at at the conclusion of the elections in November, the active tradition, and I don't believe this has changed, among administrators, acting administrators, cabinet secretaries, and deputies, is to submit their resignations, uh, and whether they continue to serve is at the pleasure of the incoming president, not the outgoing one. Right. Right, and that just depends on whether whoever's coming in in January uh, next year uh, accepts the resignation of uh, of of these people. Now, uh, I have seen instances over the years where the uh, a cabinet secretary chose not to submit a resignation uh, in hopes uh, unrealized of being reappointed to the post by the incoming president, uh, and. For failing to do that, he got fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not all is bleak in the future of, of Bobby Sturgill because just as as athletes retire to the broadcast booth, uh, former acting administrators <laughs> end up in the virtual hangar. So uh, we'll have to have. We should do that. We should try and co- start collecting uh, former acting administrators. We should make a list. And we see could that. probably get Jane Garvey on. Um, Jane knows well, she wasn't an acting. No, I don't want well, former administrators. She was, I want form- form- she was former. Yeah, but I want former, former acting. I want acting administrators. Ah. I want so the we'd have who- to collect, you know, uh, additions. Bobby Sturgill, Barry Valentine, and who else? Uh, we'll have to make a list. We'll have to make a list. Hmm. Let's see now. Uh, what have I got here? I think I've got... Uh, off- was Steve, went, was off- Steve Brown acting at one point? Dave? Yes, I think he was. I believe he yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, I think he was too. We'll make a list. We'll make a list. Off-field landing of the week. We've got a kind of unusual one. This we're going to look back in history, back, looking back into the history of off-field landings. Uh, one, of, one of the most famous. Actually, was this? Duncan Wagnall's porch. This, strictly speaking, wasn't an off-field landing, although, but but it's a great story. This is. Uh, it was in the news the last in the last week or so that Air Canada has retired. Uh, this is from a story on Avweb. Air Canada has retired one of the most famous Boeing 767s in pilot lore. He said Fleet Number 604 was flown into store into a storage area in the Mojave Desert oh, Thursday. Oh, right, the Gimli Glider. Twenty-five years after surviving along with its crew of eight and 61 passengers, one of the most amazing dead stick 
landings ever that's, attempted. That's not an off-field landing of any period. That is a dead stick landing for history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was the deal here? Uh, they they misjudged how much fuel was in the tanks and ran no. out of gas in flight. Yeah. Dave, go ahead. They they, they stuck the well, tanks, but go ahead. Well, yeah. what 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 happened is that on that airplane, you can push a button and change the uh, the the fuel reading from pounds to kilograms. Because that's how they fuel those aircraft, by pounds here in the States and kilograms elsewhere. So the crew took on what they believed to be the right amount of fuel, uh, except it was in pounds when it was supposed to have been in kilograms. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I got this backward. Well, and that's that's it kilograms. Oh, no, no. You got it right. Been in pounds. Okay. Yeah. Now that's that's conceptually according to the Avweb story, you've got the basic idea, but they tell it that um, that the ground crew crew measured how much gas was in the tanks by using a dipstick, but yeah. that the dip, dips the dipstick was calibrated in centimeters rather than inches, and that screwed them up. Um, right. Okay. But by whatever by whatever method, they managed to confuse themselves as to how much gas was in the tanks and ran out of gas in flight and then the story in uh, an avweb goes on to say uh, uh pilot pearson and first officer maurice quintal i think it'd be uh, calculated the glide potential of the airliner and determined that they wouldn't make it to winnipeg the nearest airport of any size so quintel a former military pilot uh, had served uh, at an abandoned air force base in the small town of gimli manitoba and the numbers along with the long runway looked go- good to both men pearson was high and hot on final but side slipped the 767 into a rough but safe landing that collapsed the nose gear but did little damage and there's a little bit more in the story but uh, but uh, Good job. Uh, yeah. Strictly speaking, it's, well, it's Captain, on a closed field, so we'll call that an off-field landing. Couple of Cap- things. Captain Pearson Captain, was a, a sailplane pilot. Right. And he had flown out of that airport previously. I think it was a, a former military base, if I'm not mistaken. I probably am mistaken. But at some no, it's at some military base, yeah. You know, yeah. On some level or another, he, he knew the airport was there and or had flown out of it uh, and knew it was closed and apparently it was being used for a drag race on that particular day. Yeah, there were cars racing on the uh-huh. runway. And they, uh-huh. I mean, there's a – what's that? There's a picture, a famous picture of of basically a nose-on shot of the 7.6 sitting there, you know, literally the nose on the pavement because the nose gear got wiped out. Uh, the wings sticking out, the engines, you know, the whole thing. And people, you know, in shorts and T-shirts and, you know, a couple of cars and, and all this kind of thing milling around. And uh, it just kind of shows, you know, the absurdity of it all, but also just the sheer luck that they had in, in, in putting that thing on the ground in one piece. Yeah. Or maybe two pieces. But, uh, <laughs> skill. Skill. Know, everybody, uh, yeah, it skill was skill. and judgment. It, it was skill. The they, luck part was that they were within gliding distance. The luck part uh, was where and when. But the skill and the judgment uh, definitely saved the day. Yeah, because yeah, that was not a simple... <laughs> oh, it's just going to glide to the runway end. There, there had to be some significant adjustments made, because otherwise, how often do you see a seven six seven in a steep slip? That's right. That's not like you know pulling the, all the power off and pulling car repeat on your Skyhawk and beam the numbers and trying to put it on the number, um, put it on the runway. <laughs> not quite the same. Not quite the same thing. Congratulations to uh, to. Uh, Captain Pearson and First Officer Maurice Quintal for a great off-field landing of the of the of of the of all time of the history. millennium of history of, the, right. of history and and for what it's worth, if ever there's a discussion about 
pilotless airliners? <laughs> Here is the answer. Yeah. Because it's inconceivable to me that a computer program is going to be able to exercise the judgment to say, well, that abandoned military base is nearby here. It's not on the charts, but I remember where it is. That's right. And then going, oh, yeah, let's see. I need a, I, I need a slow approach speed, a steep slip, because otherwise I'm going to overfly the field and not have enough altitude to come back. Okay, let's do that now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's I know it's coming in military aircraft, uh, uh, combat aircraft. Uh, and every once in a while, it, the idea gets floated around for commercial airliners that, you know, they just program them because, after all, the computer can do all of it. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and Jay Leno and, and David Letterman have a field day with it and it kind of dies down and, and people yeah. people take medi- medication and they go back to. That's right. Well, how about how about the triple seven over at Heathrow a few yeah. weeks ago? Yeah, same deal. You know, I mean, the computer there is going to go, oh, let's see, I need to do this, this and this real quick. Uh, I can just see it going, processing, processing, mm-hmm. processing. Oh, boot off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the the computer, in fact, uh, in that episode, you know, said, "All right, we'll we'll throttle up and move the throttles forward," and and the, the auto throttles did, in fact, go forward, and the engines, you know, kind of started to spool up, and then they both just kind of spooled down individually, and. And the the pilots are kind of looking at each other, saying, "You know, WFT." And, and the senior uh, first officer right. saved the airplane. Right. Yep. Yep. And and what would the what would the uh, uh, computers have done? Will they just have petulantly tried to increase throttle, increase throttle, increase throttle, and, and say this and just can't be happening? Level? I don't this can't know. be happening. Can, no, I'm sure the engines. Does not. Does not compute, I can just see the compute. screen come up saying, "Contact customer support." <laughs> Dave, what are you doing? Dave, 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 stop, Dave. I can tell you're upset, Dave. <laughs> gives new meaning to the term blue screen of death. Exactly uh, right. Exactly right. Shout outs. Shout outs here. I got one here. Uh, uh, EAA has announced in the last few days the, this year's edition of the Women Soar, You Soar program, uh, which is a program to encourage young women to get involved in aviation. The Reading from their press release, inspiring young women to reach for their dreams in aviation is again the mission of EAA's fourth annual Women Soar, You Soar event, July 28 through 29 at the EAA Aviation Center in Oshkosh. Let's see. I'm going to try and see if I can summarize this. Registrations are accepted through uh, through the summer. It's for women entering grades 9 through 12 in the fall of 2008. Uh, through the events, introduction of aviation-based careers and a woman mentor network, the program encourages and supports these women to co- to consider a career in aviation. During the first three years in the program, hundreds of teenage girls have benefited from the experiences and guidance of women actively involved in the world of flight. This Very year, cool. yeah, this year, Women Soar, You Soar will host 150 girls in a variety of activities, including wow. flight simulation workshops, wing rib assembly, and mentor sessions. Sounds pretty cool, and it only costs fifty dollars. Uh, which includes lodging at the uh, University of Wisconsin uh, meals, admission to Air Venture, uh, and uh, and the program That's itself. A deal. So That's it's a deal. it's awesome. So if if there's a young woman in your world that uh, is at all interested in aviation or perhaps just in science, uh, they uh, ought to consider applying for this program. Uh, it, it will. You know whether or not it leads them to a career in aviation, it will be a, a wonderful life experience. I was going to say it'll be the experience of their youth. Yeah, yeah. Other shout outs. I don't have anything this week. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. You've been busy. 
still hit me? <laughs> Dave must so have just, something. Uh, it, it's just kind of a generic, and, uh, you know, it's uh, coming up the middle of February. Uh, all you guys and, and ladies out there, don't forget to do something nice for your other half on Valentine's Day. Aww. That's next week. But the other oh. is, if it's February, that means March is close behind and spring flying season's coming up. Mm-hmm. So now wouldn't be a bad time to start thinking about dusting off your charts, uh, updating your plates. Uh, if you haven't flown in a while, uh, get out and uh, take a look at the airplane or go out to your rental place and uh, maybe even get a CFI go around the patch a little bit. But be ready for spring flying season coming up. All of which presumes, of course, that you don't live in a warm spot and that you've been haven't been flying all throughout the winter. Jack, permission to slap him? Oh, please do, <laughs> please do. <laughs> Ow! Learn more about Jeb and his learn more about Jeb and his work at his website jebburnside.com. Uh, also, aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Dave, is the website back yet? Not yet, huh? Not yet. Google Dave Higdon and learn all about Dave. Is like I don't know whether it's us all Googling Dave Higdon or something because your 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 presentation on the homepage of Google is getting better and better all the time. There's just more and more Dave Higdon hits high on the list. So uh, wow. so so uh, check That's out some of Dave's spooky. work uh, by uh, by Googling his name there. Uh, uh, myself at uh, jackhodgson.com or techpopuli.net and visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. So uh, thank you everyone for joining us this week in the virtual hangar and we'll talk to you all again next time. Shiny side up, folks. TTFN. <laughs>